this is a war you know this is a yes. this is a battle for the truth and it's a battle um not just for some kind of you know abstract standard that that god calls us to but it's a it's a battle for our for our future as a, as as the church and as as humanity Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's a privilege and honour to be able to host this podcast in an ongoing way. If you'd like to support and get behind what we're doing, either in this podcast form or in publishing work or over on YouTube with the videos, the extensive kind of growing library of videos there, please do drop us a line. We'd love to get in touch. If you want any more information, please do let us know and we can get that over to you. But there's lots of information. It's pretty obvious what we're doing and we would deeply profoundly value your support we're not part of a wider network of churches we're not part of a wider denomination we are literally solo and so if you appreciate this work or if you know others that might please do drop us a line and as i say see the link in the show notes i want to do a video now for brothers who are faithful and i'm wanting to um having heard a podcast with Jamie Franklin, who I don't know personally, and the little I do know of Jamie and Jamie, if you happen to be listening, mate, thank you for your uh, faithfulness and your strength in the things that you're saying and so on. Um, for, this, is, this is a video for brothers who are faithful, and this is not uh, an attack. I say that quite often because sometimes... I suppose I do videos that are not so much to attack, but to call out and rebuke and to so on. This is not that. This is a plea. This is a longing for people to think a bit more carefully about one of the biggest challenges, I think, certainly in this country, in Great Britain, for the church being prepared radically, is an enchantment with the Church of England. And before I get into what I want to say now, I want to just say I've never been part of any denomination, really. I went to an AOG church for a period. I was in an Elim church until recently when we repented about that publicly and growing up in, I suppose, in charismatic congregations, but never been part of the C of E, never been an Anglican in that sense. So I am detached from a certain emotional response to some things that that perhaps some of you listening to me are not. I appreciate that, and I want to address that in a minute. But my essential hope from this piece, and if you're listening on the Into the Prey podcast or watching on YouTube, it's it's to help, help you if you are a little bit muddled in your thinking about the, the Church of England. And I want to do that Having heard a podcast just today, um, in fact, it was the same podcast that I was a guest on just a couple of days ago, the Owl and Bodger, so the Owl and Badger um, podcast with Tim and Helen. And they had met with Jamie Franklin um, a week or two prior to that, and there was a discussion about contending for the faith and so on. And it was that podcast that I'm going to let you listen to some clips of now 
that I profoundly disagree with. And again, to make it clear, this is not an attack on on you, Jamie, and it's not an attack on any of you who happen to have the same kind of wrestle or struggle, but it is to try and explain why it is that I think it's so wrong and not what the Lord is saying to his people. I've tried to do other pieces on this and so on, and I want to do it today by going through an article that I've found very helpful that I found earlier today about J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle, who died in 1900 and who had to defrock his son, such was the tentacle reach of liberal theology back even at the turn of the 20th century. J.C. Ryle um, was a man of great strength. And as it has often been said, I think, of J.C. Ryle, that if he was in the Anglican, he, if he was alive today, he would li- have left the Anglican Church. He would leave. And the article that I'm going to go through now in this session is disagreeing with that, was, is making the case that J.C. Ryle wouldn't have said that today. And I, I want to use that as a, as a resource to explain why I think that actually I do think that Ryle would have left. And I think we should all leave, If and particularly um, something that you need to hear if you are a minister within the C of E or if you are a member with the kind of hopes bringing eternal that there will be faithfulness. Um, so let me start off by just letting you listen to the first of, of three clips from... Jamie's conversation with Tim and Helen, and these are all good people. Again, this is this is what I would like to hope people would think and receive as a family conversation around the dinner table. This is not, um, yeah, this is not warfare in that sense. So listen to this first clip, and then I'll begin going through. And this is the article. Um, I'll let you see a glimpse of it, and then we'll go to the first clip by a guy called Michael Drake. I think he's a New Zealand guy, and I found this today and read through it and a couple of times and found it very helpful. J.C. Ryle, Fight or Flee, is the, enti- is, the, is the title of his piece, so I'll go through that in a minute. But first of all, listen to this first clip from Jamie Franklin. For those of you who don't know, he's a minister within the Church of England, uh, I think in Nottingham. Just listen to what he has to say. Just to be absolutely clear about that, that's that's my that's my view. Um, the the question is, you know, given well, one of the questions is, given this situation that we're in, where the majority of bishops are either promoting this um, this heresy and error or being uh, going along with it in some way, uh, what do we what do we do as ordinary believers and ministers within the Church of England? And uh, my my hope and my exhortation is that that faithful believers in the Church of England remain within the Church of England and seek to exert a godly influence as much as they possibly can. It might be it might come to a time when it's it's not it's you know it's literally not possible to do that anymore. But I I believe that I'm called to commit myself to this church mm-hmm. to commit my to commit my yeah. life to it until it until it becomes clear to me that that you know that that's not that's not tenable anymore. And if we if faithful Orthodox believers in the Church of England leave, then we re- really will be abandoning the flock to the wolves. So, um, so I don't believe that's what we're called to do. Faithful Orthodox believers within the Church stay in the Church and and profess the faith. You know, speak the truth. So Jamie is advocating for the godly to remain within the Church of England to exert positive influence as much as they can. 
until such a time comes when that's no longer possible. Um, before I get into this article now by Michael Drake that I, I think does help, that will help, I want to just say this because I'm conscious that I may lose people here. What would need to happen? Under what circumstances would it be considered that enough is enough? I think one of the schemes of, of Satan in his pernicious work is to dull the hearts of all of us. We know that he blinds the minds of unbelievers, but I think there is still a dulling effect of the demonic on the church so as to numb us a little bit, soften us a little bit on the kinds of realities that we are living amidst regarding marriage, so-called marriage, redefined, or homosexuality, or transgenderism. And I quite agree with Jamie and Tim and Helen in their podcast where they talk about the fact that this is particularly against the children, state-sponsored child abuse, and it is. I did, an I did a session with David Robertson, a.k.a. The, the, the We Flee, about four or five years ago. Well, it was entitled that people from the Crown Prosecution Service were following my blog as a result of that, that this transgender ideology is state-sponsored child abuse. So all that to say is under what circumstances, Jamie, or others who advocate for remaining within a church so as to, in the words of Jamie, exert godly influence until such a time comes. This is exactly what J.C. Ryle was saying at the turn of the 20th century. He died in 1900. And again, he had to defrock his son, his eldest son, from the Church of England because of his liberal theology. So with the greatest of respect, Anglic Anglicans have been saying this for hundreds of years. That the godly somehow should remain until such a time as, well, what would that be? What would that look, what would that time look like? And what would that time, um, what would, tell, tell me what it would be like, if not that the very rudiments of the garden have been, have, have disintegrated, not from the world, but within the church. I know somebody who has met recently with his bishop. What would it look like if not that lay people within the church, if lay and sacred, if lay and clergy are a thing, they're having to meet, people in the church are having to meet with bishops to say, why are you preaching another gospel? And this is my point. It's the same point that the Apostle Paul made to the Galatians. Who has bewitched you? And we're about to see this now from a quote from Spurgeon, who wasn't, Obviously, he would have been imperfect like all of us, but he wasn't tangled up or entrenched within the Church of England. Let's turn now to this. Let's turn to this article. Uh, here it is. I'm going to read just the first bit of it. Again, you can find this for yourself. Michael Drake. Along with many others, this is Michael Drake. Speaking, I have often commented that J.C. Ryle said something to the effect that if things got worse in the Church of England, he would leave. And according to Michael, it is apparent that this is both mistaken and misleading. I'm not sure about that, by the way. 
I'm not sure that that's going to become clearer, but my my critique of the position will be, Ryle did not consider the fact that many in the Church of England taught heresy, engaged in unbiblical practices, and led many away from faith in Christ to be a reason for leaving the church. Ryle did not consider the fact that many in the Church of England taught heresy, engaged in unbiblical practice, and led many away is a reason for leaving the church. I'm not sure about that because we're about to see why. While he was deeply and vocally concerned to preserve, defend, and proclaim orthodox evangelical belief and practice in the C of E, there was only one issue that he clearly considered made secession necessary or, in fact, to be considered to have taken place already should the C of E depart from its founding confession. Let me just highlight this here. Um, there was only one issue that clearly considered that he that Ryle considered making secession necessary. Now, even if he did, my point here is even even if Ryle did, and I don't think he did, because because his son wasn't converting to Catholicism and he defrocked him. Clearly, there wasn't only one. I think what the author is saying here is that Ryle only considered a, a kind of defection to Catholicism as a reason to 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 leave, and I, I don't think that would be right anyway. But I don't think that's what J.C. Ryle thought. Um, the author goes on to say that is not to say that other issues may have become significant for Ryle if he had seen them as a threat likely to shift the church from its foundations in the same way he saw the issue of the day for him, which was Tractarianism. This is the Pusey effect, um, which Spurgeon will comment on in just a minute. The Oxford movement with its tracts did more, did more than promote a shift back to Rome. It was to those within Anglicanism like a tidal wave of, ref- of re-reform, like a regression, basically, back to pre-Reformation times, threatening to sweep all before it. For Ryle and his fellow Anglican evangelicals, it was the issue upon which to take a stand. Now, I just want to point out the obvious here. J.C. Ryle died in 1900. You're about to hear a quote from C.H. Spurgeon that was written about 35 years before that. They were contemporaries, peers in effect you know, um, brothers. The point, it shouldn't need making, but it does, is that the world and the church, the CV church indeed, but the church as a whole, the world that we're in, is not the same today. The threat in J.C. Ryle's world was that there was this avalanche of re-reform of, in other words, of um, a move back to Rome, that Catholicism was the threat. I'm not sure that J.C. Ryle could have possibly or conceivably thought of the state or the church like Justin Welby endorsing children at school cross-dressing or same-sex marriage somehow so-called being a thing. I'm not sure that J.C. Ryle, what I'm saying is that this, this world that we're in today has seen, I think, the the passage of time has only proven that the overall attitude of staying in with the church in the hope of exerting positive has, is not is not right. It's not it's demonstrably failed. 
We're living in a day and age now where people are having to meet with bishops in their church because they're preaching another gospel. And that the net result of that is actually the same risk that J.C. Wilde feared the most, which is this shift back towards Catholicism. This is exactly why Gavin Ashenden or Michael Nazir Ali are converting to Catholicism, because they, I think quite rightly, look at the evangelical state of play and consider it to be beyond hope. In other words, they have got out. They're sick of capitulation. Now, I'm not in agreement with Ashenden and Nizir Ali and others who have done that because I think it's not radical enough. There's a form of capitulation, it would seem, that is in, in fact capitulating. But the point I'm making is that the world that we're in today is radically different from the, from the time of J.C. Ryle. And to argue somehow that Ryle would have stayed within the CEV, C of E today doesn't make sense to me. It's a bewitching. It's a deception. And that's what I think it is. If you honestly think that the CV, that God is calling you to remain within a system, within an institution like this, and that you're essentially repeating the same things that were said 125 years ago, which is that we, we need to stay within until such a time as, well, what would that time be? What would that time look like? If not, that the Archbishop of Canterbury was encouraging cross-dressing in primary schools and preaching another gospel. We need to listen to what we're saying. And if there's an answer to that, then I'm open to listen. What would the conditions be, Jamie, or other, and, and others? What would the conditions be? under which or in which there would be a need to get out, if not today. I think we're at great risk of being soft, softened by the work of Satan to the realities that we are now already in. And I think, partly at least, because of the same attitude of decades and centuries before. In the hope of keeping this as brief as possible, let's continue... We may wonder if in this Ryle was not more than a little blind to other influences in his church. Although he regularly addressed issues such as the authority and reliability of scripture, the atonement, faith, conversion and such like, his foundational principle, and this is so important, listen to this next bit. His foundational position, rather, was that so long as he and other evangelicals could preach the Bible unopposed from their pulpits... And so long as the official position of the church, especially the 39 articles in the prayer book, were unchanged, their calling was to stay in the church and advocate for truth. Let me read that again. Ryle's foundational position was that so long as he and other evangelicals could preach the Bible unopposed from their pulpits, dot, 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 their calling was to stay in church and advocate for truth. There's two things here. It's, a, it's like a double-edged sword, a double whammy. Um, not only, not only is that not possible. So not only is it possible for there to be this um, preaching of the Bible unopposed, that it, that is not possible. 
even in the most faithful CEV churches, whether that's Gafcon or whoever, of course the gospel that they preach is opposed by their other brothers, most of whom probably aren't even Christians. So that's one side of it. That that the, the again, it's this this the reach of per, the pervasive increase in which where do you actually find a faithful CEV church now? You can't just walk across the the town square to another parish and find one. You need to relocate to a different country, uh, a different city, potentially. Anyway, my point is that it's half. It's only half the story to look at whether or not it's op- and it is opposed. But the other aspect of it is that it's. The pulpits are filled with heretics, not least by the head of the church, Welby. So if Ryle's foundational position was that so long as he and other evangelicals could preach the Bible unopposed, then remain. But if it's, then again, why would Ryle stay within it today? Of course he wouldn't. If turning in a grave was a thing, I think Ryle would turn in his grave. Stay within the CV. A, this is a joke. We're be- there's a bewitching here. I know that the Galatian bewitching was unregenerate bewitching, but I think there are forms of bewitching even to, to affect the elect. Not on a salvation level, by the way, but I do still think you can be deceived and still saved. In reality, while each of these those doctrines was perverted by the Oxford movement, they were also under attack from liberalism and Arminianism. Perhaps Ryle did not see that, this indeed. I don't think he did. Perhaps Ryle did not see this, or perhaps he believed that if Rome could be kept out of the church, English church, it would then be strong enough to silence those... Un- silence those other heresies well again that's with the passage of time that is manifestly not happened has it i don't need to highlight you can see it there it would be strong enough has the cev has the c c of e has it been strong enough to silence those other heresies evidently not For Ryle, and this is an insight to Ryle here, I think, to answer this guy's question, but for Ryle, it was a return to Rome that constituted the great threat. Should that be the, the, the constant, should that have been the only reason that Ryle would have considered leaving? I don't think so. It's not a one issue. Well, it is a one issue uh, reality we're talking about, but they're all feeding into the same thing, which is idolatry and unfaithfulness. So it's, it's not just to do with the Catholic issue. Although I still think that net result is the same today. I think that's happening, which is it's not just Gavin Ashenden and Michael Nizirali that are going across to the other. It's other good people. I know several other people have mentioned to me in the last year or two who are who have basically started going to Catholic churches in a sense who are diagnosing things half half correct. There is another answer here, but it's more radical than we're comfortable with. And I've written a book about it. And you should get it and you should read it. This is the Spurgeon quote. Listen to this. Before I do that, let me let me let you listen to the next little uh, quote here from uh, Jamie. I'm a huge fan of, of, of the Alpha course as a, as, a, as a sort of vehicle for evangelism and everything like that. 
but really it's just totally inculcated in this in this ideology so um mm. i think we've got i think we've got a i think we've got a serious challenge on our hands here and i guess mm. you know helen long 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 answer cut a bit short but i, I guess we've got a really we're really not doing great uh, in generally speaking and uh, we need to do a lot better but i i guess the thing the thing i would say is that i think that this is a this is a war, you know, this is a, yeah. this is a battle for the truth. And it's a battle, um, not just for some kind of, you know, abstract standard that, that God calls us to, but it's a, it's a battle for our, for our future as a, as, as the church and as, as humanity, because I, I really believe that what's going on is a, is a pernicious and diabolical attack on, particularly on, on, on children. Mm. I think children are, children are the target. Children are in the crosshairs of the enemy and um you know we need um as as christians we need to be we need to stop being so naive and we need to stop being so um well i don't know what what do we need to stop being we need to stop being so uh reluctant to engage you know and i think maybe i go maybe i go over the top but i just i think part i think part of the reason i speak so um so forthrightly is because I, I mean, I'm doing it on purpose because I want to give p- people permission to engage robustly with what's going yeah. on and to yeah. call it to call it out for what it actually is, which is evil, and uh, it's the work of Satan. So uh, you know that's that's the reason I, I speak like this is the time for the time for sort of you know constructive dialogue or you know um, gentle engagement with the culture is is over. You know, the enemy is at the gates. So I'm, I know I'm being quite abstract here, but that's 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 what I feel on this. Okay, so that's what Jamie feels about it. Um, let me explain what I feel about it by quoting this bit from C.H. Spurgeon. Um, from his perspective, this is Spurgeon's. Bef- Beyond the confines of the Anglican Church, Spurgeon saw this as simply wrong. So let me start again. But for Ryle, it was a return to Rome that constituted the great threat. And accordingly, it was the unique issue in which secession could be considered. That's important. Ryle apparently thought that the only issue at the time, not I don't think he would have done thought this today, but I think then he was considering that the only issue that would have warranted secession would have been this, you know, um, change and switch back to um, Catholicism or for, or for Rome to overtake and so on. And for Spurgeon, they saw this as simply wrong. Spurgeon voiced what for many, even today, is a concern that union with a church that teaches heresy is best dealt with by separation rather than an attempt to reform from within. And by the way, just as an aside, but it's not an aside, it's the scriptural, I think one of the scriptural bases for this view that coming out is actually uh, as sad and tragic and, and and as painful it is it's actually required is 1 Corinthians 11:19 where Paul saw the absolute circus that was going on in the church with regards to the Lord's supper we talk about catechizing our children but think about that the Lord's supper the kind of drunkenness and gluttony that was going on and Paul concedes in verse 19 of chapter 11 that it was better that they came, it was actually worse that they were meeting like that than if they had come apart. So separation isn't always bad. And this is what Spurgeon is saying here. Spurgeon says, I see before me now a church that tolerates evangelical truth in her communion. That's just an old way of saying is in agreement with. It doesn't tolerate it as much as celebrates it. It's the only truth. 
tolerates evangelical truth in her community, but at the same time lovingly embraces Puseyism, which is the English theologian who basically was trying to promote Catholicism, and finds room for infidels and for men who deny the authenticity of Scripture. That's what's, that's what's being tolerated. And that's what guys like Jamie are saying we should, we should tolerate in some shape or form by remaining a part of it with this perpetual hope that we're going to be some, some, some godly exerting influence within it. Spurgeon disagrees. Look, he's, he, he's, he's talking about it in terms of um, tolerating it. Well, he's tolerating the evangelical stuff. But you know, I'm, the language is lost here a little bit because it's archaic in some degree. There is no time for us to talk about friendship with so corrupt a corruption, corporation, sorry. The godly in her midst are deceived if they think to mould her to a more gracious form. Come out of her and bear witness for the truth. Divisions and separations are most objectionable in religion. This is back to Ryle now. Divisions and separations are most objectionable in religion. They weaken the cause of of Christianity, and they do. This is why Paul begins 1 Corinthians with an argument and a polemic against division, but then concedes towards the end that it was needed. Why? (laughs) To show those who are in right standing with God and those who are not. Paul's, Paul's thinking wasn't that we just mingle with those who are in right standing with God. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had the, the, the rebuke of the Lord's Supper that he did. He would have said, guys, stay, stay within and try and sort this out. Be a godly influence within this mess. And he says the exact opposite. He says there was a need for division in order to highlight those who are in right standing with God and those who are not. And that's what I think people like Jamie are missing. And, and particularly if you're enchanted with this notion of somehow remaining within the CV, you're missing the fact that in remaining, you are muddying the waters, you're blurring the lines. What happens when you come out is that there is a clear distinction between those who are in right standing with God and those not. You, in other words, you're part of the problem. It might be from good motives. It might be from a genuine desire, and I'm sure it is. For, I, no doubt that it is for Jamie and for other people that I'm thinking of as I'm speaking, but that it never, nonetheless it affects things by confusing the scenario. Divisions and separations are most objectionable in religion. They weaken the cause of true Christianity. They give occasion to the enemies of all godliness to blaspheme. But before we blame people for them, we must be careful we lay the blame where it is deserved. This is very important. I think this is in keeping with 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. The division wasn't the fault of those who would come away from the gluttons and the drunkards at the Lord's Supper. It was those who were gluttonous and drunk and calling themselves Christians. This is what, this is now Ryle. Ryle is saying this. In other words, false doctrine and heresy are even worse than schism. If people separate themselves from teaching, which is positively false and unscriptural, they ought to be praised rather than reproved. In such cases, in such cases separation is a virtue and not a sin. It is easy to make sneering remarks about itching ears and love of excitement, but it's not so easy, and it shouldn't be, to convince a plain reader of the Bible that it is his duty to hear false doctrine every Sunday 
when by a little exertion he can hear the truth. The old saying must never be forgotten. He is the schismatic who causes the schism. He is the, the one who's in error, well be, false bishops, teachers. And you're asking us or other people to stay within a church that teaches false doctrine. I don't think Ryle agreed with that then, and I don't think he would agree with it now in the, in the state to which it's descended. Spurgeon certainly didn't. Let me just show you this next clip, and then I'll bring it into a close. Best, um, religion, and 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 you're not going to be nourished spiritually if you if you go to a church like that. So, as much as I'm an advocate for the Church of England, and I believe in the Church of England. Uh, for all sorts of reasons. Um, nevertheless, I wouldn't recommend people go to to churches where um, a false a false gospel, a false religion is is being proclaimed. Um, but having said that, you might get lucky and you might be close to a Church of England church where it's not like that, and you actually have a faithful minister in the church who 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 is is um, doing the right thing. I hope you might hear the slightly muddled conviction here. The question from Helen had been to Jamie that in her situation it wasn't possible to go to a local Anglican church based on her conscience because they fly the Ukraine flag that can be seen for miles around and they preach and teach about the climate change. Neglecting the, <laughs> neglecting the eternal to, for the sake of the temporary, it's a false gospel. And Jamie's response to that was to say that he wouldn't recommend people go to churches like that it's because it's a different religion, and it is a different religion. That's something that Rico Tice had said a number of years ago, and I put that into Body Zero in 2019. It is a different religion. This is how serious this is. Just like the word of faith cult is a different religion. It's not biblical orthodoxy. It's not. But it's muddled because on the one hand, Jamie is saying that folk need to remain within the church. And please correct me if I'm wrong about this, if I've misunderstood you, but I'm just going on. Again, it's this plain reading or plain listening of what's being said. On the one hand, it's to remain within in the order in the hope of being a, a godly influence. And on the other, it's like, no, I wouldn't recommend you do that. It's confusing, isn't it? What constitutes a church that you should remain within in order to influence God in a godly way, but in another sense, flee from because it's not safe. It's a different religion. So where is the where is the demarcation here? And should there be, or is it not just a question of having the courage of your convictions? Four characteristics of Ryle's position are embedded here, even if they don't stand out. One, he supports the idea of laymen leaving under the duress of heresy. But as he frequently argued elsewhere, clergy should stay, stand and fight. This introduces a separate issue, which is interesting. But in the same way that Ryle seemed to constitute a decision whether or not to, to go or to stay based on whether or not the church was at risk of Catholicism or not. Similarly, and again, that was arbitrary. Similarly... And I think questionable. Similarly, there seems to be this distinction here between the clergy and the layman that somehow the clergy might be called to stay and that the lay might not be. Again, where's this from in the Bible? We have to we have to be people of the Bible. Where are these de where are these distinctions in, in the scripture? They're not there. 
He's not advocating leaving number two. He's not leaving advocating leaving the Church of England, according to this author, but finding another parish within the Anglican Communion that gives faithful Bible teaching. With his allusion to by a little exertion, he implies that evangelical parishes are so common that a man may ride or walk, <laughs> for most would not have a horse to one. So apparently, because faithful Anglican churches are so common that it would just simply be a question of leaving a false church, walking across the town to another one. This serves to make the, one of the biggest points here that answers the question, should I stay or should I go, is that the pervasiveness of doctrinal theological error, heresy, and even apostasy is to such an extent that you, whereas in the turn of the 20th century, you know, in the 1800s, back end, Ryle died in 1900, but just before that, when he was rubbing shoulders with the likes of Spurgeon, you know, it probably would have been a lot easier just to kind of move out of an unfaithful church and go to one that was faithful. It's not like that today. And that has to influence our question, our answer to the question, should I stay or should I go? What we're, what we're saying to people who, like Helen who are asking the question, you know, I, I, I feel comforted by going into a church or by liturgy or by evensong or whatever it is, and there are comforting elements of that. But in order to address this conscription of my conscience that I can't remain within this church that are flying politi politicized flags and I'd need to relocate my whole life, my family, my, I'd need to move to another city. There's a muddledness here that doesn't wash. It doesn't work. We need to have the new guys who are faithful brothers, whether you're training to be a clergy, whether you're clergy, whether you've been doing it for 20 years, 30 years or whatever. Repentance means everything's on the table and that goes for Gafcon's infatuation with, and I think intimidation of egalitarianism. Uh, everything has to be on the table. We need to be on our knees and that means that if we need to leave the institutions that are manifestly false, doesn't matter how well it served the, the people in decades and centuries gone by, we have to look at the roots and that's what it ultimately means to be radical. This isn't radical. This isn't hopeful. I think it's I think it's akin to the bewitching of the Galatians. It's a different gospel. Under what circumstances, if you concede now that there could be a time that would come when you would need to get out, if it's not now, please describe to me what it would be like. I think it's deception. I think it's deception and I think... Um, Spurgeon thought exactly the same. Let me just take you back to this. This is what Spurgeon says. This is no time for us to talk about friendship with corrupt, with so corrupt a corporation. The godly in her midst are deceived if they think to mould her to a more gracious form. Come out of her and bear witness for the truth. I think it's deception. 
And that's my honest opinion. It doesn't mean to say I don't love you. It doesn't mean to say that, Jamie, I think you're a, a, a false brother. Not quite, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. I salute you and look forward to maybe meeting one day. But I disagree with this narrative, and I think it's I think it's a major part of the church remaining as she is, unprepared, ill-equipped for all that's coming. The radical work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the church will require good men coming out from that which is false, not hoping that it's going to improve. I want to address one final thing, and that's the comment that Helen had made and I'd encourage you guys to listen to their podcast. It's really good, um, really edifying and encouraging. Helen had made a comment that she liked to go to a, an Anglican church for for Evensong or something like that. And again, I said at the beginning of this, that I'm not an Anglican, never have been, but I can still relate and understand the comfort, especially in the world that we're in today, the comfort of, of the things that like, you know, going into a church building, liturgy, History, just the external, some of these things are comforting. And I don't think it's all bad, but I think it's merely a copy, if you like, of what is supposed to happen when, and this was part of the discussion in this podcast, when believers are all together and they have everything in common. There's nothing like that because that's the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. Look at this, look at this passage. And I'm gonna this is Acts chapter nine. I'm gonna speak about this 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 coming tomorrow, Lord willing. Look what happens here in Acts nine. This is just after Paul had started his ministry. I'm gonna read from verse thirty two. Sorry, from verse 31. So the church throughout all this is after the religious leaders had started to murderously pursue Paul. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. God understands the comfort that we glean from things like walking into a church building in a certain kind of service, liturgy. But it's the comfort of the Holy Spirit that we need to look to at this time, not the comfort that comes from these man-made things. The church are called to walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. And when I believe, when I believe that when that is genuinely the case... And I still believe that this is what Ryle would have done if he had lived today. Not then, but today. If the, if the world that he lived in th- then was the world that we're in today, he would have left. And I believe, believe that. Having, I believe that even more now, having looked at this, that there isn't. I can't think of another scenario in which it would be more warranted to leave than it is already today. Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of Into the Prey. Please do consider grabbing your copy or copies of The Glorious Few, the limited edition version via the Body Zero book shop. You can find information via firebrandnotes.com. Maybe be radical. Consider buying one for yourself and a friend. Maybe somebody in another country put some solid Christian material in their hand.